This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by David Moore. Evan Grant is on the road somewhere. Uh, we'd like it if he just stayed there. I don't think we're alone in that desire. No, no, no. I think I think actually Gina feels that way <laughs> a little bit. She likes it when Evan's gone, or, or more so than the rest of us. I'm yeah, sure. surely. All right, we got a few things we want to discuss today. We're going to have a potpourri. A potpourri. Uh, we're going to have a little uh, combo platter for you on several topics, and then we're going to have a Rangers podcast with Evan. Uh, a lot of things to talk about this week. Uh, just last night, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. Uh, the uh, uh, Lubbock, Texas Red Raiders uh, lost to Virginia in overtime. Uh, that was, uh, on a couple of levels, uh, not the uh, Texas Tech team that uh, that I've seen through the tournament. Uh, first of all, not nearly the same defense of intensity. Uh, a lot of mistakes made. And then they, they just really couldn't find anybody except the bench was great. Oh, bench was outstanding. Yeah, yeah, the bench was great. But the starters really struggled to establish anything. Uh, and that was – and that basically that's the difference. Uh uh, Virginia's offense was uh, tremendous. Kyle Guy, I, I think I would put Kyle Guy to the line uh, over just about anybody in America. After he made three free throws to win that game in the semifinals uh, against Auburn, a very controversial finish, but but uh, any anybody who's going to stand at the free throw line and make three free throws to win the game for you, that that's he drilled all three. Oh, he drilled all three. Yeah, every one of them looks the, the same with him, and he's laughing when he goes to the line. You know, I, I that's that has to be an unnerving thing to an <laughs> opponent to see that. So he was terrific. Uh, DeAndre Hunter was terrific. Uh, Best player on the floor in, he the, was. in the championship game, and 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 that's it. You you really look back at it and and certainly uh, applaud what Tech did, and and came so close to being only the second Texas college men's program to win an NCAA championship in basketball. Uh, but, you know, they beat and and I thought controlled the game against Michigan State really all the way through. Oh, absolutely. And get to overtime. Uh, not only get to overtime, had a chance to win. I mean, actually we're in a position to win in regulation, but wind up in overtime against the eventual champion Virginia. And Jarrett Culver had two really bad games yeah, did. Uh, especially in the final where he's five of 21 and and you know we we talked last week on the podcast that he's he's a different sort of star player more along the lines of Clyde Drexler where mm-hmm. he's not going to win it with his shooting but at the end of games he'll make plays that will help you win right you saw him make some plays at the end of both of those games um but 
uh, again, just had a very – you never got the sense he was engaged offensively at any point, and they needed him to be. I mean, I know they ran stuff for him at the end of the Michigan State game, and he responded. Uh, he had a, a short flurry last night, but you know, I, I don't think he made. I don't think he made a basket. Uh, I, I think his two longest, you know, his longest shots of the game were free throws. I think everything else came in the paint on his drives. Pretty much, uh, when it came down and it was tied, and he took the three pointer, I thought that was a bad shot. As soon as he rose, and that up was to so take far the out. The fact he uh. he didn't have a rhythm, it, and that's the thing, and and that was the thing I thought that was really obvious about Tech is is, and and, and again, I you know. For what they didn't do defensively against Virginia, and I still thought they did some good things. I mean, it was, it was beautiful what they did in that Michigan State game. Oh my gosh! Just, just the way, just how strong they were on the ball defensively. Yet they swarm as a group and didn't leave the openings to exploit. I mean, that was really, really hard to do. But you know, I think uh, they weren't quite the same in that Monday game because Owens clearly wasn't moving like mm-hmm. he was uh, before. And then fouled out. Yeah, and then fouled out early. Uh, and I think part of the reason he fouled out is because he wasn't moving the way he normally right. moves and wasn't a defensive presence uh, to kind of clean up on that back end that, that they have. But, um, you know, and, and again, the, it was just so odd last night's game. But, and the thing about Tech is they, they don't have a lot. They really don't have any offensive flow. I mean, it's they hit three-pointers. They move it around the perimeter to find the open three-point guy. Uh, but they don't do a lot of slashing, kick out. Uh, running a lot of plays. Not that a lot of college teams do now. No. They they like to run a motion offense. They didn't really get into it very much last night and, and uh and then and I think, you know, uh they they don't they don't have a great offense anyway, no. you know. But um but the but the thing is they've always relied on that defense. And then when they they they, they kept leaving men open in yeah. this game, which they, they hadn't done at all. Yeah. You know, and when they left DeAndre Hunter open on that three to tie the game, you know, if if there's if you stay out there with, I'm not saying that Hunter doesn't make that shot, but if you stay out there with him, he certainly makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah, you had two guys fly when they had the penetration. You had two guys in in addition to the initial defender fly toward the guy. You only needed one guy to fly the guy at all. You needed the other guy back in in the corner because at that point Hunter had shown that he had you know he had an outstanding second half. Yes, he uh, did. Uh, but him and Guy, yeah, they just they used them as counterpoints, and and they left Guy open in, in some key situations late too, rotated off of him, which were and you which were just that. defensive mistakes. No, yeah. but but you know, I, I thought I thought Tech got caught last night a little bit in or, or Monday night in the championship game in the, you know what, to win this we're going to have to get more from Culver, so let's have him get some shots where they should have just said. Let's ride, you know, Morelli here more. Oh, yeah. uh, let's do Francis. Let's do Mooney. Let's do Murray. You know, Murray came and did some stuff for him. So um, I, I thought it was a case of they were doing some things offensively. And when they started to spark, it was still well. But to win this, we're, we're going to have to get Culver involved. And then you kind of go back and, and you lost your offensive, the, the offensive flow you had. Yeah, uh, it was, it, you know, it just felt from the very start of the game, even though Tech rallied from, you know, a 10-point deficit in the yeah. first half uh, and then another deficit in the second half to take the lead both times. It just felt like that they were having to exert so much energy to get back into the game each time, that they were never really uh, uh, taking control of the game. You know, their, their defense never – uh, they, they early in the game, I, I agree with with what Charles Barkley said at halftime. Early in the game, it was just bad offense on both teams. It's not a matter of defense playing so well. Just neither team was in any kind of flow offensively. 
obviously very nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the two biggest players, Culver and DeAndre Hunter, both off to very slow starts. And then, of course, Hunter really picked up. And I think that was, a, that was interesting for me to watch that because, um, you know, both uh, Jarrett Culver and, and DeAndre Hunter are considered lottery picks. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of drafts, they're kind of going in that five, six, seven range, uh, each of them. Yeah. And after watching that game, I don't know how you wouldn't take uh, Hunter. I mean, I'm, and I'm not basing it just solely on the fact that that uh, that Jarrett Culver didn't have a good game. He just uh, Hunter's just longer. Uh, he he it seems much more fundamentally sound as a shooter than than uh, Culver mm-hmm. seems. When Culver takes that shot, I don't I don't feel good about it. I don't. You know it. it he has a soft shot, though. He was missing those, but but they were they were hitting on the front of the rim, and they were still staying up there to give you a shot. So yeah. I wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't get the sense. I, I just think he had a bad shooting game. I don't think he choked because that that, that shot looks a little different. I don't think he's, I don't think he's choked. I just don't know that he's. You but know, he didn't rise to the occasion. Certainly. He doesn't seem like, um, you know. I've talked to some people and 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 said some things to determine some things about him and kind of looking at him as a potential pick if the if the Mavericks were to hold on to that uh, pick in the top five. He just Culver seems just a little bit young to me. He just seems like a guy that you know in three or four years he's going to be a really nice player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just seems a little young right now. You know he's really gifted uh, athletically. You know the stuff that he can do. I really like what he does. You know he's passing the ball. He's sure. really good. He's a really good passer. Uh, you know he's he's active. Like when he missed the came good down rebounder. Missed, yeah, yeah, came down missed the missed shot. It, got it back. Reached yep. in and tapped the ball away. He does a lot of really good things. I'm not saying that he wouldn't be a bad pick for the Mavericks simply because I think that the player they're going to need on the wing is a guy who's a little bit of a an athletic guy who's a good defensive presence, a, a, not necessarily a, a, I would want more than a 3 and D guy, but a guy who's a complimentary player. Yeah. There's, there's nothing the matter with that. You he know. showed he was a compliment. It looked to me like he was a complimentary player yeah. in that game. He's the best player on their team. Yes. But uh, – Again, yeah, I think he probably got too many shots. I think he did too. I, I didn't, and, and in, in the in previous games, they they didn't rely on that. Moretti did didn't make any. I think I don't know what his final line was, but he, he wasn't was in fifteen points. He was. He was yeah. they, it didn't seem like he was a factor as as nearly as much. And and uh, and like you said, and Mooney, Mooney was. Yeah, uh, and, he had some big ones. But you yeah. know, they just uh, and Tariq Owens. You know. Uh, let's go back to to uh, the game where he, he blocks the shot and gets his own rebound in the semifinals, and then mm-hmm. and in this game, you know, he's not out there to defend when Hunter takes that shot. If he stays on that side, and, and you know that, that he's a very athletic presence over there, that, that will, maybe that would have made the difference. I don't know. I at the, at that, you know, UTEP still owns the only state men's basketball. Title. Still amazing. The the only just team amazing. national well, title men's yeah uh, men's mm-hmm. yeah just just an unbelievable thing to think that you know that's been fifty three years yeah. uh, that uh, I think there there have been uh, I looked this up well, there haven't been that many opportunities no, either really there's only been <laughs> only five teams from Texas have ever made the finals uh, Baylor made it once in nineteen forty eight mm-hmm. Houston made it in eighty three and eighty four of course uh, Texas Western now UTEP in sixty six and then last uh, then Monday night. Uh, Texas Tech against uh, Virginia. So there have been a number of Final Four appearances. You know, Houston alone has made five, mm-hmm. uh, but there have not been people getting to that final game. I don't know. Um, we don't know what Culver is going to do. He's, he told uh, the media last night or Monday night that uh, he hasn't made a decision yet. Uh, I would imagine he'll come out 
but you know, you don't know. His dad's uh, uh, the chaplain for the team, and he's a little bit of a different kid. Uh, maybe he makes the decision to stay. I don't think it would hurt him, you know, to stay another year. I, certainly, if you're talking about being a lottery pick, uh, if if they tell him you're a top five pick, I don't know how you you turn that down. Uh, but if they tell him, now well, maybe you're maybe you're back to you know middle range, ten to fifteen somewhere in mm-hmm. there, and maybe maybe he doesn't. Uh, I'd like to see what uh, Chris Beer can do. I'd like to see Chris Beer come back uh, to Texas Tech. You know, uh, I would all... imagine he would. I mean, well, well, I guess UCLA is going to well, come at him now. There's been a lot of speculation <laughs> about that UCLA job. It's unbelievable that you know they made that uh, they made that dismissal. I guess uh, January first, yeah. and uh, and we have waited and waited and waited, and everybody's name has come up for that. A lot of names from Texas. Dixon at TCU. Uh, it was just announced yesterday that uh, Rick Barnes, Barnes. Will, will stay at Tennessee. Will, is not going to leave now. Uh, you know, and, and Chris has been mentioned as a possibility for the UCLA job. Uh, I know that. And in, in, in my feeling is that uh, Chris is a, in a perfect spot for what he likes to do and how he likes to do it at Texas Tech. Very much to me, like Billy Gillespie was uh, um, at uh, Texas A and M. Uh, had a great thing going there, uh, and those guys really uh, gravitated to that style, and were able and were willing to to play that style of defense and and to play that kind of tough style, you know, uh, trash cans on the basketball floor, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they don't mess up the floor from their workouts. So you know, uh, then Billy went to uh, Kentucky, and then it all fell apart. Uh, I'm not saying it would all fall apart if Chris were to leave and go to UCLA. Uh, he may he may do that and maybe it may be work out great. Uh, I'm just saying that he's really a good fit for Texas Tech, uh, and I'd like to see him stay there. I just like I just like to see the caliber of basketball go up in this state. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna do that. Buzz Williams taking the job at Texas A&M, uh, a very similar kind of coach to, to Chris. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that these guys, uh, uh, good old Texas boys, uh, coming back to, to their home state and uh, who, who kind of took a long way around to get where they are. And then they've been very successful at that. So I, I think that that would be great to see college basketball in the men's side make a comeback. The women's side, is, there's no problem oh, yeah. at all. Yeah, Kim Mulkey won her third title third. Uh, on Sunday. It was about every seven years. Her third, at, her, her third at Baylor, yeah. uh, I should say. Uh, I think she won one at Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that, uh, yeah, won in 2005, 2012, 2019. You're right. Uh, every every seven years. Uh, you know, I, I had this discussion with Barry Horn, our, our former colleague and, and good pal, uh, and he has a, a pretty close relationship with Kim, uh, texts her a lot, talks to her a lot. You know, that goes back to the days when his daughter uh, was a point guard and coming up, and, and she played in a couple of Kim's camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's a little consternation that Kim is not in the uh, Hall of Fame yet. You've got uh, – you know, she's got three titles. You've got mm-hmm. other – uh, Muffet McGraw, who she mm-hmm. she beat uh, in the in the finals, uh, Notre Dame, sixty two to sixty one. Muffet's got two titles; she's in. Uh, Kim's got three now, and she's not. It uh, doesn't mean she won't be on the next be in. ballot. You'd think so. I think there's a little bit of uh, people don't like Kim so much. A little cocky. Mm-hmm. Uh, she somebody asked her. This was a great quote. Uh, somebody asked her after they won the game if uh, if she's a champion of old school basketball and she said <laughs> I don't know what old school is I just know how to win. win. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't see a lot of coaches say that kind of thing from no. the uh, championship podium podium. So it's a little bit uh, little, she's a little bit different. She's been too dominant 
in the sport and and has has been in it long enough where oh, she was a great player she won championships yeah. as a player yeah. she won championships Every as level. A, yeah. as a coach she's yeah. yeah she's a great coach does a tremendous job you know there's been a lot of uh, of women's titles Gary Blair won one at mm-hmm. Texas A&M yeah, and Jody Conrad won one at Texas mm-hmm. Marsha Sharp won one at Texas Tech yeah. uh, so there's there's been a lot of uh, a good basketball. Women's basketball in the state's been much better than men's basketball. Yes, it, it has. Really has been. Maybe the women should be coaching the men. <laughs> should, should we see that? Is that is that the problem? Well, you see it here and there. You see it. Uh, you have a a woman assistant with the San Antonio Spurs. Yes, I, I think you're going to start to see a little bit more of that. It's still always going to be uh, an aberration or the exception rather than the rule. But uh, I think you're getting to the stage where there's a recognition that. Look, if you know basketball, you know strategy, what does it matter whether yeah. it's a man or a woman? Just a matter if you can command respect. That's the same and thing with, with, with respect men, and men's coaches, too. You know, sure. if, they, if they don't respect you, then man, they're not going to pay any attention to what you say. Yeah. So, I think there's a little more with men of like, well, why should I listen to you? Uh, right. You didn't play. You didn't do it. You're not physically imposing. I mean, there, there's Absolutely. more of a – there's some more elemental levels of that go into respect, I think, with men athletes than than maybe other people. Yeah. Speaking of San Antonio Spurs, uh, that will be Dirk. Will that be Dirk's last game? I guess I should ask. Uh, on Wednesday, all signs point to that, and, and certainly um, the the way this season to me it would be very awkward if he did decide to come back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should just put it to him that way. Listen, Derek, <laughs> this will be really awkward. We really think you should retire. <laughs> but uh, watching him play this year, and, and he ha- he knows this logically as well. He's it's, uh, it's it's difficult for me to see him being able to sustain and contribute next year on a basis that really helps uh, a team win. Uh, he's just too. Uh, there are nights he has it, but there are more nights that he doesn't, which happens with every player when he gets older. But, you know, they still play him X amount of time because he's earned that. Um, You know, if you actually had a good team in a championship race or or at least a playoff race, that would be pretty difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think everyone kind of emotionally is making this leap to, oh, this team's going to compete for a playoff spot next year. I'm not sure. That's a pretty wide gap to make up, uh, even, yeah, even with who is. you have. Uh, yeah. That's a pretty big jump, and you, and you have some uh, some teams that aren't going to make it that still are going to finish about 10, 12, 15 games ahead of you in the standings that you're going to have to pass as well. So yeah. uh, the, the future is bright for the Mavericks, but I don't know they're just going to arrive next year. But they, they need to – clearly when they're back to the point where they are – in playoff contention again, and then go from there to being a serious contender that they hope to be. Uh, Dirk won't be around then, and, and they need to move move forward. All that being said, it's going to be uh, a wildly emotional, and and uh, uh, he, he's forever going to be associated with Mavericks basketball. He's going to be the the, the face of Mavericks basketball in in a way that great athletes on on other teams in this area. Uh, are associated with their clubs. Yeah, nobody, no one else can compare to 21 years with one team. Um, that's uh, there's nobody else in the market no. who's ever for one reason. You know, for one thing, that's no one's ever done that. And at that level, as high as he has, I mean, right. Yeah, I'm just talking about what he's been this year, yeah. coming back off injury. Uh, he was still pretty effective last year, but but that's so often what you see with players at this age. They extend it. Beyond, beyond, beyond what you think they could be effective, but then they have that year where it's very clear 
they just can't do it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think Dirk, personally, I think Dirk would love to come back. I think he would love to come back. I, I think he just, you know, and, and we talked about this before, everything it took to make him the player he is was, there's obviously ability there, but it was work. Work, mm-hmm. work, 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 work. And when you've worked that hard your entire life, and you clearly like it, it doesn't bother you. You know, he, he, no. he's always done it. The one thing, if you just hated it, I, yeah. I hate having to do all these things to get ready. Uh, I think he does relish all of that. And I think to think I'm going to give all that up. And then what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think he just feels a little bit like, even though Dirk's clearly a, a great family man uh, and just a great guy, uh, you know, and we've talked about that too. I, there's never been a, a, a player in this market in my mind who come, who combines greatness with great character more so than him, mm-hmm. you know, zero ego, you know, uh, at least f- f- he knows how good he is on the floor. I'm not saying that every player, every great player knows that, but willing to go into a six man role when it made sense, willing to be in essence, a take less money, man, take less money. And, and, and remember he did all this too, after he was, uh, he, he was never vilified here, but he was never embraced no. early either. It was no. always what he didn't do. And he's like, uh, the, the soft, you know, international player, which, which I always thought was a a a huge misnomer. Um, you know, he wasn't an aggressive in your face guy, but you talk to other players around the league who would try to beat him up. He was so resilient; he just kept coming back at him. Right, and uh, it didn't matter what they did to him: knock out a tooth, you know, push you around. Yeah, uh, he would still, you know, again, he was more of an outside inside player versus inside outside player, but he would still go down low. He'll still go for the rebounds. He would take that pounding and then just step back and and, and hit that, you know, jumper over right. you after after you've been pounded for 42 minutes which is pretty impressive so you know he, it, I think he was slow to earn the respect of a lot of players in this league because he was unlike them in so many ways because well, he, he wasn't in your face he, he wasn't taunting a, them he invented a style the stretch yeah. four no one had ever done that before power forward you're supposed to be down here sure. pounding away in the middle and that was not Dirk's style having said all that and it's, it's very interesting I was trying to you know I can never remember things by dates and what years they happen and so I'm always mm-hmm. constantly having to double check all these things and and I was uh, so, someone had asked me on a chat what was what is your favorite Dirk moment and I said you know it had to be against San Antonio in the playoffs uh, game. It was late in the game, and he took the ball, uh, and, he, and he drove to the basket and was fouled and made the shot and made the free throw. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, to me, that just kind of uh, – to that point, he had been that, you know, player, that, that outside-in player, and, and certainly he would take that, that three-point shot. But this was a really gutsy, tough, physical move that he made to the basket and, and was fouled and made it. And and when I was looking it up online, there was a, a video of, of Dirk, and someone had asked him that question, and it's exactly what he said, was that he thought that was the moment everything changed is mm-hmm. when he made that shot. And I think, you know, here a lot of people, and, and you talk about his, his maturation and, and uh, uh, the, the player and, and the elite athlete he became. Uh, I know a lot of people don't, don't want to hear this, but, but Avery Johnson was the right coach at the right time for him to get him to that next level. Now he wasn't the right coach to sustain it and continue the program, yeah. but but he brought a, a toughness and and he also brought to Dirk. You know, Dirk was always because of his lack of ego. I think before was always willing to share. There was always yeah. a Finley or an Ash or uh, you know even a Jason Terry. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he and it was like you know, look, I, I 
I don't I don't need this constant, you know, this is my team. Uh, this is our team. Uh, you know, I may be the leading scorer on it. I make big play, but, you know, it's our team. And uh, I think Avery really instilled, helped instill an edge in him on like, that's not enough. That's not enough for a great player. You're a great player. There's an obligation that goes with that. Yeah. And there's a, a, an attitude and a mindset that goes with that. And, and you need that. You need to develop that. And again, it didn't show up in 2011, the, the, or excuse me, 2007, the first time through. But Dirk became, uh, uh, you know, again, Nelly was the right guy to put him in a position for him to flourish and use his skill set and build on it that way. I, I think Avery was the ideal coach for him temperamentally to, to give him an edge that and I don't mean this in a dismissive way. I mean, any athlete that great has an edge. Mm-hmm. But temperamentally, I think he started to look at the game a little bit differently and, and his responsibilities a little bit differently with Avery. And then you, you follow from there, and what, what Rick's done with him has just been um, – but but that, that's the thing about Dirk. He's been willing to show growth all the way through. He, he does it with humility, um, and, and he's always been, you know – true to himself and and he's never gotten caught up in all that and and again there there was the episode and and it was very personally embarrassing for him uh with the with the woman who was also you know and and you think of how many athletes in today's environment just and at that point he hadn't won anything right and people were already, you know, going like, well, this team will never win a championship with Dirk. He's not as good as these other great players around the league. I think it would have been very easy, and if Dirk was a different person, to just say, you know what, this isn't working here. I'm not appreciated here. This is, you know, personally embarrassing to me. Let's just break ties. Why don't you move me and and let me get a fresh start somewhere else and see if they appreciate me. I, I, I venture to say most athletes – would have pushed to be moved at that point, given the climate where they were and the development of the team and how they kept hitting the ceiling and where they, he was in his personal life and the focus on it. Um, but he didn't. He never even he never even considered it, for no. my understanding. No. You know, so so going forward here, you know, there, here's the thing about people. We always want to say, well, who's going to replace this guy? Uh, well, they will be able to replace Dirk, and they, they, they kind of already have with Luka Doncic. You know, he is the, he's going to be the new face of the franchise. He's a wildly talented kid and can do he's a lot He's much more things. advanced than Dirk was at this. It, it, no in fact, question. I, I would say that as far as Luka's impact, you were into year three before you saw Dirk having that sort of impact on the franchise sure. that Luka's had. At least. And, and you could argue maybe four or five. Yeah. So, uh, he, now, again, the longevity – uh, how it's going to wear now that you have this attention. Can you handle this attention? Uh, defenses are going to attack you differently. They're going to try different things with you. Uh, there, there's a lot to to show that you can still stay at that level and, and, and continue to grow. Um, but, yeah, at this stage, he, he's advanced from where Dirk was. No, no question. Uh but and and you know we don't really know what we kind of have a an idea of what Luca is like in his personality and 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 all that. Uh, but you know, I frankly, how do you replace Dirk Nowitzki's presence and who he is as a person and what he has meant to this uh, franchise, what he's meant to this city? Uh, from my estimation, you never replace that. They're- no, and, and for Luca, I think it's good. While while there'll be comparisons there. 
Luca has already shown enough glimpses of his personality where it's much different from Dirk's. Oh, much, much. Yeah, uh, he's going to engage. He's going to talk some trash. He's, he's he is. He's always got that little glint in his eye, like he wants to say something else. <laughs> but oh, but, there's going to be a lot more of that as yeah. time goes by. And, yeah, and, you'll, you'll see there. It's just it's and just he's going to be, be empowered to do it more too. I mean, he's still deferring in ways, but he's deferring. But he, you can also tell it's like, yeah, but I showed you I'm pretty good, and and he's no it. Well, and he is. You know, he he can back it up. It'll just be a different time. I, I will. It'll be interesting to me to see that how the personalities develop in this locker room with him and Przingis and mm-hmm. and whoever else they bring in, because it'll be a completely different atmosphere. I there think will be, man. in the in that locker room without Dirk in there. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, it's it's been a it's been an unbelievable run to think he's been here this long. Uh, and uh, and uh, that, that everything about him. You know, even when the you know the fans were disappointed, the media w- criticized him for things he didn't do. He was always a class act, always, uh, yeah, always. Uh, and that's a that's a that's a, a wonderful thing to to take into your retirement. And didn't let it impact him again. No. He, he was as resilient with that criticism as he was. Now that's not doesn't mean he didn't take it to heart and he didn't work on those things individually yeah. to 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 get better. As you've clearly seen throughout his career. Uh, and, and things bothered him, but he never let it bother him in how he interacted with media, fans, teammates, no. or you know uh, other great players around the league. You know, again, as we're talking about, he you know he was never a part of these cliques that developed around the league that all the great players get together and it's like, oh, you know, you're in my clique now, so this is acknowledgement right. that you're one of the best players in the league. Uh, he never saw that, but but he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't bothered by the fact he wasn't in those cliques either. I tell you, the, the great thing for me to see in all of this was the reaction of everybody uh, this season on Dirk's way out the door. Yeah, uh, is that and, and at the All Star game, I thought it was very telling. And maybe this was just me, but when Dirk makes that three point shot, everybody goes nuts. Players mm-hmm. go nuts. Fans go nuts. When Dwayne Wade makes it, nothing. Yeah. You know, and I and I think I just tell you something. Everybody knows that Dwayne's going going too. Sure. And I think in the end here, there was more appreciation for Dirk for, for because yeah. of the person he, he he is, and because of what he did, and and, and was so selfless about it. Yeah. Uh, and 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 you know, uh, it, as you said, coming in, there was no bravado at all. And so in in the NBA and in, in all sports, you know, a lot of times there's that feeling like, hey, you're not good enough. You're not tough enough. You're not any of these things. Mm-hmm. On the way out the door, people say, hey, he was all those things, and he was a great guy besides. What Charles Barkley said about him, there's never been a better player and a better person in the same package. That's yeah. quite a compliment to say. And, and, and Kenny Smith agreed with him. Yeah, and, and again, it's like I said, I think it was slow to take root and flourish where, the, the, where you got that. But he's going out, he's really beloved. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, absolutely. Uh, and again, very few players – you can say that about there. There have been some great players, but I don't know that they were really beloved. No, and the, the sort of reaction that Dirk has on the way out, and again, it's because um, he's not forcing it or asking for it or demanding it or feels like he's entitled to it. No, it's, he's just there not at enjoying all. it. Yeah, it's been a great run. Again, it's like the guy who's saying we are the champions. That you know, no vanity. 
Right. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. When he was singing that, not good. <laughs> no. not, not a good voice. All right. We want to talk about the Cowboys before we wrap up this uh, yeah. this segment. Uh, a few others, too. We can talk briefly, Star. I mean, again, well, stars this is a huge, huge week. Stars. Week. You have Jordan Spieth going back to the Masters. But, yeah, let's, let's do Cowboys real, real quick. Let's do the Cowboys and talk about Demarcus Lawrence is having a press conference on as we tape this on Tuesday morning. He's having one at 1 o'clock. Um, I, you know, we thought this was going to get done. At least yeah. I thought it was going to get done. Yeah. Um, I didn't see any reason why it wouldn't be. I know a lot of people were panicking. Um, did you? Were you surprised that it got done right now? No. I mean, I, I thought, look, there, there was no way it could have gone until July 15th, uh, especially if he was going to uh, cling to his you know, shoulder. Because then, then you really would have had a problem. Because the longer – I think he had a sweet spot here of about the next couple of weeks to get this done. Uh, because he wants to have the shoulder surgery. Well, yeah, I, I thought if it wasn't done before the draft, uh, then the timing was going to be problematic. And then the Cowboys are saying, okay – we understand the whole leverage you say you have with the waiting on the shoulder surgery, but now you're impacting your ability to play and perform at the level you need, and you're hurting the team as well, so why would we pay top dollar for that? If, you're right. knowingly, if we're knowingly going to sign you and you're not going to be ready for the first month of the season – then we're taking off a month of what we would basically pay you. Why would we do that? You know, so it was, I, I think to avoid it getting ugly, you know, it, it had to be done here in the next couple of 10 days to two weeks. Um, you know, I think the other thing too, people always talk about, you know, well, this should have been done right away. Um, I think it benefited both sides that they didn't do it right away. You know, the, the Cowboys, um, you know, if they had not gotten Robert Quinn, traded for Robert Quinn, well, then I think the price of DeMarcus Lawrence's contract went up. Because now suddenly you don't know when or if Randy Gregory is going to be back. Right. You don't have another starting – you don't have anyone else who can rush the passer. Uh, so now, if I'm Lawrence, I'm going, you have to have me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't go into the – because so what, you're going to go with no starting defensive ends going right. into the season? So, you know, if, if it made sense for me for the Cowboys to take care and address at least getting a starting defensive end in here before they did um, before they did Lawrence's contract, given the situation. The other side of that is uh, by not being signed at the start of free agency, when uh, Detroit signed Trey Flowers to like a $90 million deal with $56 million guaranteed, it set the absolute floor on what you were talking about with, with Lawrence because um, then everyone was in agreement. Yes, he's better than Trey Flowers. Yes, he has to come in above that. Uh, but before that, you had a big gap. You had the guys up at the top that Lawrence wanted to be compared to, but you had a big drop down to like the the 75 you know, $80 million level on the next guy. And that was just, that was too much room to drift, you know, mm-hmm. for the Cowboys. So right. so I think the fact he wasn't signed uh, to start a free agency uh, helped kind of establish a floor. So, and uh, um, so I, I think it, I think in this case, waiting, both sides kind of got something and some clarity they wouldn't have otherwise. And, and both sides were rational about it. Um, you know, it was, um, the, you know, 
his side, uh, Lawrence and his side, weren't asking for a Khalil Mack contract. Uh, and, and let's just set that out. He got five years, $105 million, 20, yeah. $21 million a year. $65 uh, million guaranteed. Yeah. And uh, that was – how much did Mack get? I can't remember his contract. Mack got like 140 and $90 million guaranteed. Is that what it was? Yeah. And he's not as good as Khalil Mack. But then no, no. one else is either. No. Uh, but, but then you got into uh, Von Miller. Well, is he as good as Von Miller? Slightly p- different positions because the defensive sets – uh, but do the same thing. I mean, they're signed for the same thing. But Miller was signed several years ago. So right. where is the market going, not where has it been? The so, contracts always go up. They don't go sure, backwards. Sure. So he he came in, um, you know, total money. I think he's third uh, among defensive ends. Uh, you know, guaranteed money, he's third. So, I mean, it, this this works out. That's, that's a fair slotting procedure. I'll but, be again, sure. a lot of times, you know, players will go, well, no. You know, I want to be the second highest paid because this is where it's going to go. Or I, I you know, I need the MAC contract. So mm-hmm. uh, you didn't see that from their side, and you saw Dallas say, "Look, it's uh, yeah, it's a little more than we want to pay, but this is a legitimate and rational request." I just think both sides were very rational in how they approached this, and and all this talk about how uh, his side was insulted and the Cowboys got upset here, and and. You're going to have that posturing in any negotiations at that level. And I, just, I never got the sense that it was uh, anything that was going to hinder their ability to get something done. And the bigger thing is, like, you know, I say, too, uh, the cost of $105 million for five years, the cost would have been greater to Dallas if they would not have signed him and they mm-hmm. let this drag on. Uh, because, one, it undercuts every single thing they have said and done this offseason. They're going all in on this year. Mm-hmm. If you're going all in, if you're saying we're going to draft our players, want them in this system, and then reward them when they show us they perform the way we want them to perform and are professionals in the way we want them to be, you can't discard them when they get to this point and go on because it's too much money. Uh, so it would have undercut uh, – I think it would have been much more harmful to the Cowboys and what they're trying to do to not sign – Demarcus Lawrence and it would have been to sign him. So who gets done besides Demarcus Lawrence now this this offseason? Well, I think you focus on the draft. I think they I, I, I do think they want to get they would rather do they would prefer to do Prescott and Cooper. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't and if they just get one of them done, I, I think they'll be happy with that. I think I should be Cooper myself. Yeah, but I think they prefer Dak because really? I think they, well quarterback is just gonna go up you know, exponentially more than receivers. I, I think they figure, but but they need to get one of them done because they need to have the franchise tag to use on the other next year. Yeah, uh, to continue to no- negotiate when they haven't you know reached something then. So, uh, and then uh, then after that you have Elliott and you have to keep the you know. But but you have a couple of years before you'd need the franchise tag on Elliott. But but I think Elliott's going to be an issue contractually next year uh, before he gets to that. Uh, the, the Cowboys can have his rights for another year without doing the franchise tag, and they will, but um, that doesn't mean it will be received well. I, just, so, I have a completely different feeling about uh, second contracts for running backs. Sure. I realize Zeke Elliott is a great running back, and he's done a great job for the Cowboys, uh, and he hasn't shown any real signs of slowing down. Uh, no. So, But he but, will. But he will. <laughs> and and I, I just feel like – you know, It'll be in the second contract. Well, second the first, yeah. we'll see. You know, we, we saw what happened with DeMarco Murray when the Cowboys yeah. elected not to do that. Now, I, I will say that they consider Elliott to be a generational sort of running back. They yes, did not I, consider DeMarco Murray to be that. And, so, that's, and I think that's accurate to say that. Yeah. 
Uh, but but I haven't said that. I just feel like it's like all the talk about when people were saying, what if the Cowboys traded for Duke Johnson and made him the backup running back? And, and you looked at what Cleveland was wanting. Cleveland's wanting a fourth-round draft pick. The Cowboys just got a starting defensive end from the Miami Dolphins for a sixth-round yeah. pick and next in year, 2020. Next year. <laughs> I, I'm thinking, you know, you, so you want to spend a fourth round this year for a backup running back? I mean, to, to me, if you're not finding running backs in the draft – you know, now it's one thing if you want to sign a, a running back and he's going to cost you a million and a half. Yeah. That's that's fine, you know. Uh, but for the most part, this is where you need to be finding players. You can find running backs in the draft. Yeah. You know, now you're not going to find another uh, Zeke Elliott probably in every draft or a Todd Gurley in every yeah. every draft. You know, that that's not going to happen. But if you have a good offensive line, you can get good drafts in fourth, third, fourth, fifth rounds. And and that's and that's that my, will start for you and be very good. That's that's my point about running the running back position. The, you, it's just like the reason why quarterbacks are paid so much is because the ball goes to them every single snap, yeah. every single snap. It doesn't happen that with what, way with wide receivers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen that way with running backs. And you can win with a running back who's not necessarily great, you know. And the Cowboys have proven that, you know. So that, certainly, a lot of teams it, have proven that. So a lot of teams have proven that. You know, we we could you could go back and let's look back at the in the in yeah. the nineties with with Emmitt Smith. But then you need a great quarterback, and so then then you well, argue, you okay, well, Dak you Dak do. is not the guy who carries it, so you need a better running back to that, balance this offense. That's and, true, but we yeah. we saw with Emmitt, you know, the, the the old debate about boy, who would sure. you rather have, Barry Sanders or Emmitt Smith? Well, I, to me, there was no question that Barry Sanders is a greater athletic talent than Emmitt Smith was, mm-hmm. but. For what the Cowboys were doing and how they did it and how their offense ran, and it was a very efficient machine, no turnovers, everybody's doing their jobs, a great machine, maybe one of the greatest machines in NFL history. Uh, it, he was the perfect running back for them. Yeah, and, and again, consistency and efficiency are the least sexy attributes of any great player. Yes. But that's what, that's what Emmett had, and that's what those teams had. Now, you can say it was the offensive line, too, and all of this, but uh, – yeah, Sanders did things that you know other backs could not. Yeah, but he also he would have a hundred and eighty yard game and then come back the next game. It'll be eight carries for eleven yards. Yeah, that wasn't unusual either. Right. I mean, it was it was the the home run brilliance or the you know completely he did a lot taken of out around of the game. all over the place. Yeah, uh, you never saw that with. I mean, Emmett was always okay between right. eighty five and one hundred and ten or right. one hundred and twenty. It's always in there. He was so. very much a north south runner. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so so again different. But yeah, it's uh, so, so that's where the Cowboys are. I know we're running out of time, but again, this is this is an incredible sports week. It really is because now the you have the stars returning to the playoffs. Stars return to the playoffs. How about that? Yeah. With, Third with, time in the last 10 years, I think. Jim Montgomery. First time in three. Jim yeah. Montgomery uh, has delivered uh, and, and needed to deliver. Uh, this uh, organization has taken a back seat uh, after some brilliance in the late 90s um, and has been a long, slow slog here. Yeah. I, think that, I think this is the season fans in the organization expected last year when Hitchcock came back. Yeah, I think it's a year late, but, you know, I, but there, I think it's gotten back. To there it. was a lot of controversy about that hiring, and, and yeah. in, inside the organization, there was a controversy about that hiring. Of, and and what what was the purpose of bringing you know Ken Hitchcock back? To me, it was to bring back the guy who taught me everything I know about hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Hitchcock, yeah. great guy, a lot of fun to to be around. Uh, you know, he did a lot of great things. I really do think uh, that Jim Nils' uh, thinking was that this guy 
will get these players where they need to be. We're not going to win with him. We're not going to go to the playoffs. What what we make of the playoffs? We're not going to win at all with Ken Hitchcock. But these guys need to learn something. I think they did learn some things, uh, certainly defensively. They're a much better defensive team because of his presence. What happened this year is that where'd the offense go? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the, it was it was terrible. You had the president Jim Lights going off on the on the team, yeah. uh, an unprecedented thing. I've asked people about that, and and uh, I haven't asked Jim specifically. I guess I need to do that. I, I don't believe that that was his idea uh, to do it. I believe that Tom Gallardi influenced that and said, "Hey, I need you to shake some things up over there." And and uh, and they decided that that Jim Montgomery was not was the, the guy to do, do that. Yeah. Uh, that uh, we'll we'll let Jim Lights do that. Mm-hmm. And so he he called out his captains, you know uh, Sagan and Ben, and uh, uh, and Sagan has had a pretty good year. Ben is not. Yeah. Uh, and what they had to figure out is if it, going forward. For me, in these playoffs, Jamie Benn's going to have to really step up mm-hmm. in the playoffs. We're going to have to see if he really is the captain and the guy that, that delivers in the crunch uh, because he is, uh, his scoring has been uh, off wildly this year. He needs, to, he needs to really step up here. Just what we were talking about in the Final Four with Texas Tech, Jared Culver is your yeah. best player. Your best player doesn't step up for you. It's very difficult yes. to win. Uh, and especially as we know in, in the hockey playoffs, they just last forever. They yeah. go, they go on and on and on. Now they have the goaltending and the defense to certainly. I mean, they're built to to have a successful playoff they run, are. even though they're a lower seed. And in hockey, more so than the other sports, lower seeds seem to survive. Uh, it not only survive but thrive as the playoffs go on. So uh, the the fact they enter is what the, the seven seed they should not be dismissed because hockey's full of of lower seeds staying around for month a month or more. They do have very good goaltending. This is probably as you know they have two goaltenders uh, yeah. that uh, that, can re- that can really help them out, and that's not something they've had in the past. Our old buddy Tim Callishaw contends that you know it's it's a little bit of a myth about goaltending winning in playoffs and now it's the teams that really score mm-hmm. uh you, you're gonna have to put up three four five goals a game to be winning in the playoffs we'll see if the stars can do you can that. do that yeah they, be, they don't appear to be built they can do that occasionally but i don't know that they can do it enough if, no. if that's how these the the tone of the playoffs is going yeah, we'll to unfold. see if it's a quick exit or not they play nashville starting uh starting tonight uh no it, no no uh, tomorrow tomorrow yeah. excuse me yeah yes uh wednesday night yeah that's tomorrow yeah, yeah. yeah. so so we and then we have starting up this week the masters as always david have you ever been to augusta i have not yeah I've been there twice. This is really funny. Uh, not funny for me, but it was funny. Uh, I, I went in the early 90s and, uh, and once when Ian Woosnam won. And, you know, Ian's uh, Welsh and got quite mm-hmm. an accent. It's a little difficult to understand sometimes. And he said something, and he mentioned uh, uh, Don January, a, a local golfer yeah, here, a, sure. leg- a legend here, uh, as a matter of Oak fact. Oak Cliff, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and so uh, I, I, I thought he was saying something that, that Don was, was not being uh, – kind uh, to people in in things he was saying to fans and i turned to a couple of the people around me and i said did you did you ever hear that about don january and they said no you know they, they're just like i couldn't believe it so i inserted something in the copy it turns out that uh we misunderstood what mr <laughs> Woosnam said and i had to apologize i didn't have to but i, I did because don's such a great guy uh that he was uh 
very magnanimous about mm-hmm. it. But I heard him the other night. I went to a, something at the, at the uh, Dallas Women's Club mm-hmm. that my wife dragged me to, <laughs> uh, and uh, it was uh, it was a panel there. It was uh, it was Don January, Homera Blancas, Jackie Cupid, and uh, Roy Pace. And oh wow! They were talking about uh, their experiences in golf, and uh, mm-hmm. they they were all great. Told great stories. It was a lot of fun to hear that. And, and Don was there, and. and uh, he, I'm not sure how old Don is now. He's got, uh, he's got a little oxygen tank he carries around with him. Uh, he's got to be early 80s. Oh, easily that. I think yeah. he's almost mid 80s. I mean, sure. getting, yeah. getting closer to 90, and yeah. he's, he still gets around great, uh, and still tells great stories. Great stories about uh, about Ben Hogan and and what <laughs> asking for help from Ben Hogan. And uh, and Ben didn't really give it. <laughs> Mentioned something about that was a guy. Yeah, he was doing wrong with his elbow. Didn't help him out. So anyway, they they had that uh, that uh, Dallas Women's Club thing uh, because of the Masters coming up this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the return of Jordan Spieth uh, to Augusta, a place that he loves to play. And again, this is you know I, I think people will look at it and go, well, what's happened to Jordan Spieth? Uh, but. You know, even this year, he he'll play two or a couple of good rounds, two or three good rounds, and then just have a horrible round. Yeah, and and that kind of happened at the Masters before too when he lost. But I yes. mean, it's uh, but but he also rose to prominence by his ability uh, at the Masters, and and you always get the sense. Uh, I I would be surprised if at some point over the four days he's not near the top of the leaderboard. Now well, the I question is, how long will he be there? He'll be a factor. And will he be a factor on Sunday, or will he be too far back on Sunday and then make a run and want, But it's uh, um, he's and again, I from what I've seen from him too, he he says that he kind of he feels good about where his game is right now. Really, he he knows the results aren't there, but he feels good about where things are. And 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 that you do have to have that. If you don't feel good about where your game is, there's no way you have any shot. So no. So it goes beyond just the results. Now, over a while, if the results continue to be the same, you have to question how good you really feel. But I don't know he's to that stage yet. I, I think he's still at the stage that, like, you know, I'm playing well enough. I've always played well on this course. Uh, I can jump out here. Why Why can't this be where I get, you know, this reignites? Well, you know, with all golfers in all sports, it's all uh, between your ears. And and, sure. uh, and and I've always said that was his strongest suit is that he believed in his ability to, uh, to uh, you know, if he made a bad shot. Yeah. The great thing about Jordan is he, certainly when he started out was that I'll, I'll just make a good shot this, this hole. That's being I, tested. This has been a prolonged stretch. It has been a prolonged stretch. And I think that's one of the things, you know, for me that uh, when – it seems like a lot of younger players, and certainly this was the case with Jordan, you'd have so much success as a young person. You just never lose. You know, as an amateur, as, as you know, at the University of Texas, everywhere you go, you're winning. And you, mm-hmm. you go, and so you just believe that. You know, there's no I, – I believe that when Jordan t- turned pro, he thought, I'm just going to win. I'm yeah. just going to keep winning. You know, Jackie Cubitt told a great story uh, when he was at uh, the University of Houston – he won 39 times at the University of Houston. Dave Williams, the great, wow. the great golf coach at, at, at Houston, said that with all the players he had there, Freddie Cubbles, John Mahaffey, Keith Fergus, mm-hmm. I mean, they're just a long line of professional golfers that came from the University of Houston. Oh, yeah. He said that Jackie Cubitt was the best player I ever had. And when he went to play, uh, when he turned pro and he was playing for a while, played for a year or so, uh, Jackie's mother finally said, 
son, how come you're not winning? <laughs> you know, I, I just got used to this. I thought you're supposed to win all the time. Uh, so you don't win all the time. And, and, and when things go wrong, it, does that shake your confidence a little bit? And I think that, I think that Jordan has had his confidence shaken a little. No question. And I think that's, to me, that's the issue with him. He has to get back to that. He has to get back to the believing that I can make this shot work. Mm-hmm. I can, I can do this, you know? And, 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 and I think that Augusta is a place, even though he had that terrible meltdown there, I think it's a place that he loves so much that he's able to put that aside, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and this is the place he can turn it around. Yeah. It, 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 again, that's from from a local standpoint. That's going to be fascinating to watch this, this Absolutely. week. Along with a lot of other things on the local sports scene. Lots of stuff going on. We thank you for coming in and listening to this podcast. We will have a Rangers podcast with Evan Grant. Abbreviated. Uh, abbreviated, which is the best way to have Evan <laughs> Exactly. Grant, an abbreviated version. Uh, and anyway, tune in and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.